that sounds radical and so on, but it's not so different than anybody else. It's an availability to God. It's a question of saying, Lord, here am I. Here is my two fish and my five loaves of bread, Lord. I don't know how we can feed the 5,000, but here is what we've got. And you know, that's when God comes into the picture and that is defining us. So for me today, it will take bigger faith not to believe in Jesus than to believe in Him. Because I know Him and I've experienced Him and His journey and His heart. Hi and welcome to our program on Mid-South Viewpoint. I'm Byron Tyler. Today we have the privilege of having Kuhn Schools from South Africa originally. Kuhn, I believe, is that right? That's correct. What do you think about being in the United States? I've had the privilege to be here for the last three months. Well, I've seen many things, met wonderful Christians, but also have some concerns because I said to my wife I would really love after this time to write a letter to the church in the United States as well with some of the observations from outside. And, you know, it's so helpful for us as Christians to maybe sometimes have a look from the outside as well. So I don't know if I will do it, but it will still be fun. Well, what are some of the initial observations through those fresh eyes looking at our country and our church? Well, I have seen some people, a lot of people that's really genuine in their desire to see their lives having purpose and meaning and making a, a, a difference with their lives. And yet, even though that strong desire is there, it's as if many Christians are incapacitated by the comfort that you are so used to and the material possessions that you are having. And it's almost to me as if uh, that blessing from the Lord uh, that the church in America is using are blinding the church here of some other areas. Um, so I find that people in, in the States are not so spiritually attuned, for instance. Um, I've not found many people that have a, re a regular habit to pray for 10 or 20 or 30 days to pray and fast, for instance. Um, and, you know, not to see liberalism uh, influencing the church and sort of a acceptance of the norms of overspending on yourself. And one of the things that really bothered me is that I've not visited in this three months, and I've visited a lot of churches, I've not visited one that was not in debt. And each and every of these churches have almost too much equipment, so much that it's almost an access. And I don't know if the church realized this. So there is the desire to make a difference with our redeemed lives, but there is also an inability to sort of step outside of the boundaries and the normal standards and norms of our society. And that's not meant as any criticism whatsoever. Sure. I just thought that it would be great for us to help one another as we are getting a huge amount of teaching and help from the Western Church as Africans. I do think that a good partnership where we can add value to one another in the different aspects will be really cool and neat. There is sort of a definition problem. So when I'm talking about simplicity and I ask a church in the States, talk about simplicity, then it's the same word but not the same meaning. So that's why I do think we need to rub shoulders in a bigger way as the non-West and the Western church that we can come and help our brothers and teach our brothers here also to pray and be attuned to some of those things and to take small steps of change. Sometimes I think the systems and the things, how things have been done is so deep in my own life. I um, want to think of myself as a pioneer, out-of-the-box thinker. 
but often I find that there's a secret settler that is hiding somewhere in my inmost being. And all of us needs to be challenged with that. So we need probably some more prophetic voices from the church in other places that can can come and say, brothers, be careful for this, be careful for that, and help people here to make small adjustments onto their lives, onto their giving, onto what they think is the norm and the yeah. standards. Talk about growing up in South Africa. So I grew up and would not even have dared not calling myself a Christian, but I was so nominal. Um, we would go on Sunday to church and speak the right language, but I knew what me and my friends did, and we, that was not really godly. But my family was also against the apartheid political system that was prevalent when I was a child in South Africa, and we disagreed with, with much of that, the view of many people, because we saw all races as equal before God, and and for that, we were persecuted. And when we took a five-year-old sister that we adopted, which was illegal, of course, because we couldn't adopt legally at that stage, um, the church became very angry and hostile and threw us out of the church. This was the church that threw you out. That's right, yes. And, and I do want to say this, that many people were so influenced by the media and so much not exposed that many people were actually shocked when everything came to light after apartheid that did happen. So in a way, I also want to, at the same time, bring an excuse for some people that they were so indoctrinated by the media to believe certain stuff. And that was unfortunately our family that had to bite off that bullet. But, you know, God is good. And in his gracious way, he drew me closer because I was not very excited about the church at that stage. And he showed me that there's a very big difference between him and between us as human beings. And all of us have failings, no matter where we are. And as we can find our identity in Christ and in embrace even our weaknesses and our failures and come to the cross and the grace that Jesus offered, we can go forward and where we have been part of this world's problem, God gives us the invitation to become part of the solution. And that's a great privilege indeed. I appreciate you being so transparent and willing to share your heart with us. But I also want to welcome Randy Digler to our program today. Randy, also with Operation Mobilization, serving in Africa too? No, I actually serve here with uh, OM in the United States. And I live in uh, South Florida, near Fort Lauderdale. And uh, my role in OM, I, I often say we actually have the privilege of, of seeing the best of both sides of, of, a, of a partnership. Uh, we're privileged to be able to go overseas and spend time with Kuhn, his team, and really just experience things that you have no way of experiencing as a Christian here in the U.S. And Kuhn has alluded to a lot of that. And so we get to see these saints that are just living so sacrificially. The word sacrificially doesn't mean the same thing to me as it means to Kuhn. But you see people by African standards living sacrificially. And then I get to be here in the United States where, where God has blessed people um, just with a gift of business and of generosity. So we have the privilege of working with people who are able to provide the resources 
to the people who are out doing the frontline ministry. So as OM's representative in the Southeast United States, we spend time kind of matchmaking. So someone has a heart to see the gospel spread in Africa, well, we help them do that. Your thoughts about the complacency, basically, of the church here that Kuhn has shed light on. Yeah, well, he he hit the nail right on the head. Kuhn provided a, a bit of an excuse for people living under apartheid. I do feel that sometimes we don't know what we don't know. And that's why short-term missions is so important, because we've got to get outside of what our norm is. If all we know is what our normal life and all we see, then we make the assumption that that's what life is globally. And it's not so, just in our proximity. I share with you guys that I spent some time with Operation Mobilization during my college years, about six months with OM, three months here in the United States, working at a book warehouse, receiving materials to be put on the ships, Dulos and Logos, that go all over the world, and then three months in Austria. And that was my first time ever to leave the United States. The first thing that hit me when I returned was, we're living on a merry-go-round. I remember that now. It was like, we're living on a merry-go-round. And until you experience going somewhere in a different culture and nation, you don't really see that until you come back. What we do have, the plenty, and don't get me wrong, God has richly blessed us with plenty, not for us to use on us, but for us to serve Christ and those in need. Absolutely. And I think the reason why it's so important for us to go, um, it in a big way define who we are. You see, if we look at the Israelites, when they went from Egypt, it was on the journey that they met God as provider, that they met him as healer, that God had the opportunity to teach them about leadership, to teach them so many things. And often it was in a real encounter with God. And, and that's the privilege that we have in the mission field, that we are not getting isolated. For me that grew up in South Africa, one of the big fears in my life is isolation. Because when we are getting isolated into our organizations, into our churches, into our own families, we sometimes miss out on the richness and the fruitfulness that's possible if we are just more exposed. I remember my dad always used to say to me, don't become bitter. People are just not exposed to other cultures. In our journey together, there's so many instances where I could encounter God and started to uh, see his heart. And that sort of defines who I am as a person today. Well, I think that's really what's unique, too, about Operation Mobilization, challenging young minds. Randy, let's go back a little bit on the history of OM. Began back in the late 1950s. Mm -hmm. George Verwer was a student at Moody Bible Institute and would take trips between Christmas break with some other college students to Mexico and share the gospel. Correct. George felt the desire and the Lord's calling to get in his car and get the gospel and Christian literature to Mexico. And he would do that periodically. And God just took that, and George was just with reckless abandon, and he would literally do anything to get there, just with a fervor and a, and a passion to see people hear the truth of Jesus Christ. When George speaks, he always speaks with passion. He's got to be close to 70. I don't think he's let up. He has let up. He, he's reduced his speaking schedule to 360 engagements a week. I'm sorry, a year. <laughs> a year, yeah. <laughs> and I remember him telling a story that people would say, George, you need to take a vacation. You need to take a break. And he would say, listen, 
when you don't have to spend eternity in hell, that's a vacation. But he says these radical things that, well, maybe he's a little more spiritual than I am. But that's not the point, is it, Kuhn? It's not a fact that one is more spiritual. It's living the life that Christ has called each of us to. Absolutely. And that comes back to obedience and radical obedience. And that's something that we are not talking about anymore, is to be childlike before the Lord and to do his will. But it's also because we are not exposed to his heart, because we are not saying yes when he says come or when he says go. For many of us, if you uh, talk to me and my wife, we do not want to live different. I remember one time we were with our 16 children because we've adopted quite many ourselves and some biological. In any case, together with them, we were 18 in the house and we almost every day had guests. And one day, our guest bedroom, there was somebody in the guest bedroom and I asked my wife, who on earth is in our guest bedroom? She says, I don't know. And we called one of our kids and we said, who's sleeping in our guest bedroom? Because here's a suitcase. And he says, oh, that other uncle is already five days here. It's just that me and my wife didn't know we had the extra guest in our <laughs> house. That sounds radical and so on, but it's not so different than anybody else. It's a availability to God. It's a question of saying, Lord, here am I. Here is my two fish and my five loaves of bread, Lord. I don't know how we can feed the 5,000, but here is what we've got. And, you know, that's when God comes into the picture, and that is defining us. So for me today, it will take bigger faith not to believe in Jesus than to believe in him because I know him and I've experienced him and his journey and his heart. Kuhn, we're hearing stories that God's doing some miraculous things in Africa. Yeah, God is doing phenomenal things. I was just counting up in the last year, more Muslim people came to faith than in the previous 10 years put together, for instance. Um, often it's going together with miraculous signs, dreams, wonders. But we've got a ministry called the Africa Trek. It's young people that comes from all over the world. We put them on minibuses and then they visit all of our countries and minister together with our long-term teams for three months during the summers or for a year. And one of the girls, a young American girl, a Baptist girl, she was in a village um, in Lesotho and there was two women that was blind and she prayed for them. And suddenly they recovered all their sight. That was the first of 15 miracles that happened that day. You know, it's not happening every day and we are not running after signs, but no. God is gathering in Africa in an exceptional way, his children in this time. It's as if we are living in Africa in an open heaven scenario. And yes, it's a privilege to be in such a time in our continent. You know, Scripture talks about kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall, and that's quite obvious in the continent of Africa, where we look at Sudan and all over West Africa, and we see kingdoms come and, and go. I did a series of programs on the Nuba people in Sudan. We have a, a church here. It's the Nile River Church. Some Sudanese believers go, and the pastor and a friend of mine gathered supplies to go to the Nuba Mountains. And this was like an Indiana Jones adventure, but we tracked them and had them share their story. People are hungry for the gospel in times of desperation, and that's when the gospel needs to be given to hurting people. You look at Darfur, you look at Sudan, and that's just one area of Africa. That's true. But even the other areas that have a lot of stability and people need to be formed. And you see, Africa is busy growing. Eleven fastest growing economies are African countries. Many of the countries like Zambia are one of the most stable countries in the whole world. 
and God is busy bringing a lot of stability. But the big test is wealth. You know, in this time that we are still poor, that we are still growing, this is the times that our principle and our dependence on God needs to be tight and cemented in as firm foundations. You know, when me and my wife left in India, one day, a Sunday after church, we had a fruit salad because India has so many fruits. And I was busy washing up the dishes when I looked outside and I saw a little girl. I don't know if she was six or eight. You know, she was so malnourished. She came quickly in to our yard and there was a rubbish bin outside. So she ran quickly over, not seeing me in the window, and she opened it, and she got watermelon peels. Now, you know, you take out the pink part, and only the peels and the white remains, and she started to eat the white because she was so hungry. Of course, I ran out with the rest of our team, and we gave her proper food and so on. But that picture is also a picture of Africa today. People are so hungry that they are willing to eat anything. And if we as Christians are wasting this opportunity, this mo- moment in the history of our continent, many, many of the white harvest will go to waste, just like when rain comes on weeds. And I believe we are in this harvest season and we must not waste it. What's your challenge to us today? First of all is that we will encounter God yet again in a new way. And especially encounter his love, finding our purpose and the meaning and the reason why you've created us so specifically. Quite a number of years ago, there was a girl coming into our lives. Her name was Regina. We thought she was 13, but she was 17. And she was the head of her household of two younger brothers and a sister. When she was 13, her mom died. She started to keep this small boys and girl alive by being exploited by other people to work in their fields. So she had to work terribly hard, but she was not strong enough for enough food. And that's when she found out that men will be willing to give her food at the price, and she became a prostitute so that her brothers and sisters could live. She came into our lives when she was 17, and she was busy dying of HIV and AIDS. And later on, she was only about 25 kilograms with open source and the antibiotics didn't work anymore. She was busy literally decaying, so the nurses didn't want to bath her. So we did. I was sitting next to her bed, holding her hand, and she would fight death because she was love-starved. And then she went to be with Jesus. I went back to my parents in South Africa. Me and my wife sat there and I started to weep because of Regina and I couldn't stop for three days. Then I said, Lord, I cannot function. What's going on with me? Mm. And God said to me, do you remember the many times you prayed? Lord, show me your heart. Lord, show me what kind of a love will go from heaven to earth to be nailed onto a cross. Let me understand something of your heart. And God said, now I'm busy revealing it, not just for kids like Regina that died unnecessarily, but for people. You see, we need to love the Lord our God with all of our hearts and minds and strength. And from that, We need to love our neighbors as ourselves. When we encounter God, when we start to feel his heartbeat, then materialism, shallowness in our ordinary day lives is starting to become dim in comparison to what can be if we are taking our two fish and five loaves and say, Jesus, here am I, sent me. Randy, you were involved, as you mentioned, in helping to mobilize 
teams to go to Africa and other places, volunteer for a summer campaign. We actually represent all of the work of OM, and OM is in about 120 countries. There's 6,100 OM missionaries right now. So we represent all of OM. Before we were involved with OM, we were very involved in other ministries in Africa. So both my wife and I sort of grew up in the faith with missions, and our roots are in Africa. So I think we have a bit of a partiality, but our role in OM is to represent, you know, whether it's in Eastern Europe or India, um, Southeast Asia. We have a ship that travels the world. It's the largest floating bookstore in the world, and OM has a long history of literature that you, you had mentioned. So there's a myriad of ways people can get plugged in. The ship's a great way. It's a two-year commitment to see the world. Um, probably, what, 60-some different nationalities on one vessel, so it's quite amazing. There's so many opportunities in Africa. Kuhn mentioned the Africa Trek. If if there's someone that really wants to have their eyes open and they've got a couple months over summer, the Africa Trek is one special way to do it. Okay, and they can go to the website, of course, to learn more information. Absolutely, and I do want to say that the time for missions from the Western world and specifically from the U.S. is far from over. You know, this is probably the time where God can use the skills of business, agriculture, sport, um, art, all of those kind of things in an incredible way. Um, the face of missions have changed. It's no longer just a question of going to go door to door, even though we do that from time to time. But the skills that people have to offer, things that you think in the States is small things like I have a hobby to do needlework can be a transformational work in the continent of Africa. So I do want to encourage people that the time for you to be involved hands on also by giving, also by outreach uh, is far from over. And in my opinion, the best years possibly, if the American church say yes, for the church in America is still ahead. Could you walk us through the work in Africa, go from south to north and share some of the work taking place right now? One of the big things that we have worked on is indigenous missions. So we are training local people in training colleges that is focusing on missions. But we are not isolating our teams. We want the skill and the knowledge and the strengths of different parts of the world together with our local teams, and that makes a very powerful, transformational kind of team and ministry. So we do church planting, discipleship trainings, leadership trainings, all kinds of training, skills trainings that is from carpentry right through major construction businesses, and uh, agriculture is another thing. Two people coming to teach our missionaries how to do hair salons, and they are planting churches through hair salons. So other areas where we are involved in is medical. We have clinics and the medical boat. Uh, we also have a big work on human trafficking, especially in places like Ghana, Zambia, and uh, South Africa, where we don't only expose people, we rescue women. We are taking them into safe houses and, and give them skills training as well. Then schools is a big thing. We take orphan children, give them food, take them into schools, train teachers locally. So we've got a teacher's training college. Those people go back into their communities and saying, I was part of the problem. Now I've got the privilege to be part of the solution. Sport ministry is big. Uh, we lead more young people to Christ through sport ministry than probably any other ministry currently. Um, so, yes, God is sort of doing 
all around in every aspect of life. You know, I remember when I was with OM back in the early 80s and I was on the evangelism team with music, mixing the sound for the team that we traveled with. There was a, a guy from Sweden. There was two girls from Finland. There was two guys from Germany and three Americans together. And we traveled all over Austria doing concerts. But there was also some sports teams, as you mentioned. I remember some wrestling teams. They would go out and have matches and then have a chance to share the gospel. And I remember some of the best time of networking in 101 was after the concert doing music, people had all these questions. They wanted to find out, how can you say that about life? How can you say that about Jesus? Tell me more. Some wonderful opportunities. And I really hope that those listening today that have never stepped out of the borders of the United States would take advantage of opportunities that Operation Mobilization provides through service, especially if you're in college, that you could take some of these summer breaks, pray about where God might send you and use you to be challenged through OM. Randy, that website address, could you give it out? Sure. If you go to omusa.org, omusa.org. And then Africa is exactly the same, omafrica.org. Okay, and I'm sure on both sites there's probably a wealth of information, photographs that people could see. Is there anything specifically that we could pray for you, Kuhn? Before I give you the prayer request, I would like to give my email address as well. Please do. Um, It's c-o-e-n dot s-c-h-o-l at om.org. Okay, C-O-E-N dot S-C-H-O-L-T-Z at om.org. At om.org. And Randy, how about your email? You want to give it out? Sure. You can reach me at Randy, R-A-N-D-Y, dot Degler, that's D like David, E-G-L-E-R, at om.org. Well, guys, our time is slipping away, but I do want to have you, Kuhn, if you would, share the prayer request before we leave. You know, one of the biggest prayer requests is that we as leaders will walk with integrity and holiness before the Lord. If people can pray for me and my wife, we at any moment can make any stupid mistake. And I would not like to dishonor the the Lord's name through any stupidity on my side. So for all of our leaders, if you can pray that we would walk with integrity and holiness and wisdom before the Lord in a complex world, that will be great. And then secondly, if you can ask the Lord for the nations with us, uh, pray and ask him that even all the unreached people groups and nations will come to the foot of the cross and get to know him. Nothing more uh, will give us greater pleasure than that two things. Today's Mid-South Viewpoint was originally featured in a 2014 broadcast. The show is available at botradionetwork.com and can be also downloaded at one of your favorite podcast apps. Thanks for listening. I'm Byron Tyler. Talk to you next time. Bye-bye.